This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In a hospital in Berlin, a man is being weaned off a ventilator. After days in a coma, he's awake and responding to speech. He's being monitored day and night by a team of doctors but he's used to the sensation of being watched. As the chief Russian opposition leader and official thorn in President Putin's side, Alexei Navalny has been watched for years. He's subject to a lot of harassment, but it has been a big question. Why aren't you dead yet? It certainly came pretty close. Three weeks ago, Alexei Navalny was taken ill on a flight from Siberia to Moscow. He'd been poisoned with a Novichok nerve agent. Tonight, this incredible story, the most prominent Russian opposition leader is in a coma on a ventilator. Was this another attempt by the Putin regime to eradicate an opponent? Why did the German Chancellor, Angela Merkel, intervene? And what happens next? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Putin... Navalny, and yet another case of Novichok poisoning. Last week, as Alexei Navalny lay in a coma in a hospital in Berlin, Germany released the results of his toxicology tests. Navalny had been poisoned with Novichok, the same deadly nerve agent that almost killed the former double agent, Sergei Skripal, in Salisbury back in 2018. The normally unflappable Angela Merkel was clearly livid. Alexei Navalny is the victim of a crime. He was meant to be silenced. I condemn this in the sharpest possible manner in the name of the entire German government. We expect the Russian government to explain itself. Boris Johnson demanded answers. And I have the most extraordinary thing, which is perhaps the leading domestic opponent of Vladimir Putin being poisoned in Germany. And uh, you really have to ask yourself, what has gone on here? 
and the Foreign Secretary, Dominic Raab, joined the clamour. The case to answer is there for Russia. The use of chemical weapons in this kind of context, pure gangsterism. The world, as Angela Merkel put it, is waiting for answers. I am Edward Lucas and I'm a Times columnist and think tanker and author and I've spent the last nearly 40 years of my life worrying about first the Soviet Union and then about Russia. How worried were you on the day when the news broke that Alexei Navalny was ill? I was horrified, also a little bit scared for everybody else because every time a Russian opposition figure suffers a violent attack, you worry about all the others. And I've had quite a few friends of mine now have been killed, including Boris Nemtsov, the opposition politician who I was really fond of. Can you paint a bit of a picture of that day? What happened to Alexei Navalny? How did he realise something had gone awry? The last thing that he will remember will be his visit to Tomsk. Tomsk is a city in Siberia, more than 2,000 miles east of Moscow. Alexei Navalny had been visiting supporters in the region. Three weeks ago, he was at the airport, boarding a flight back to Moscow. He had a cup of tea at the airport. That may have been where he was poisoned, we don't know. He'll remember getting onto the plane, the plane taking off, and he may remember feeling extremely ill and going to the toilet in the plane, and then he can be heard crying out in agony. from inside the toilet. The sound you can hear is taken from a video recorded by one of the passengers on the flight. And that, I think, will be his last memory of that day. What he won't remember is the the plane made an emergency landing despite attempts to stop it because there was a bomb threat, a phony bomb threat phoned through to the airport to try and close it. And he won't remember the efforts made by the doctors there to stabilise his condition. It was from another city in Siberia that Navalny, just two days later, was flown out of Russia to Berlin. Alexei Navalny continues his journey unaware. In an induced coma, he arrives at this hospital in Berlin with his wife, Yulia. You obviously won't remember the frantic lobbying that went on to allow his wife to see him and then for the, the private jet that came from Germany and his transfer to Germany and then the very expert medical care he's receiving at the Charité Hospital in Berlin. That part wasn't easy, was it, getting him out of the country? What happened? It's one of the interesting aspects to this is that the Russian authorities allowed it anyway. At the beginning, they seemed to be very obstructive and the Doctors in OMS were giving very unconvincing accounts of they think he's been poisoned and he's just ill. And then this extremely obstructive behaviour by the Russian bureaucracy and poor Mrs. Navalny, who was standing outside the hospital saying they won't let me in to see my husband because I haven't got my marriage certificate with me. Oh, wow. So classic bit of petty-minded Soviet-style bureaucracy. How do we think he actually was poisoned. I mean, there was talk of a cup of tea at one point. What do we know of what happened to him on the day and how he was infected by it? Well, we don't know. And this is one of the great puzzles that, because Novichok is extremely toxic. If you deliver it to the intended target, you need to be careful not to poison everybody else. And so presumably, however the poisoning was carried out, was done in a way that didn't endanger 
uh, lots of other people and they could have smeared it on his seat in the aeroplane. They could have put it um, on it. There's one theory I saw that it had been sprinkled in his clothes. So when he put his clothes on in the morning, he'd be poisoned that way through the skin. There's the theory that he had a cup of tea in the airport. But it all looks very weird to me. No one else has been reported to have been affected by the poisoning symptoms. Because he was accompanied by his assistant and by staff, and yet nobody else seems to have been affected. It is odd, and I I think at some point we'll be able to do some proper investigation of this, and he may have something to add. But it is a very strange business, and there are two theories about Novichok. One is that because people die so quickly, it's a good way of bumping people off without leaving any clues, and people just think he must have had a heart attack. The other is that this is such a signature poison that if you use it, you're saying we're killing you people and we don't care. And there's some evidence to support both those theories. Is that why they were trying to delay sending him to Germany? Is there sort of some effect on Novichok that sort of reduces its appearance? Yes. I mean, over time it decays. There would be an argument if they left it for long enough, then the um, traces would have gone. But it's still, it's, it is a mystery why they let him go to Germany. And I think that one answer is that some people at the top of the Kremlin decided that Germans really want this, we better let them do it. Another is that they don't care. They absolutely don't care. They think, fine, let him go to Germany, let the world know we poisoned with Novichok. What are you going to do about it? You never do anything. And I think on balance, my tentative conclusion about all this is that it's a massive two fingers from the Kremlin. We will try to murder the best-known challenger to Putin. Yes, you can try and save his life in hospital if you want, but you know we just don't care. He made his name in Russia by exposing corruption, putting the country's leader at the centre of his work. 44-year-old Alexei Navalny has become the leading opposition figure in Russia. It's said that Vladimir Putin makes a point of never referring to him by name. Before the poisoning, he lived in Moscow with his wife Yulia and their two children. Navalny's got an amazing ability to get his message across. He has a great team. He's an inspirational leader. They dig up what is effectively investigative journalism, really good details about the abuse of office of rich Russians. So photographing people's wrists to see their watches, finding out how much these watches cost, noting what the official's salary is and saying, how is it on a salary of £3,000 a month? You are able to buy a Swiss wristwatch that costs half a million pounds. So it's a very data-driven approach. They use drones to take photographs of people's mansions. They dig around in Western financial filings and things to get details from that. Um, they use material from whistleblowers. They put it all in videos, very amusing, sharp, pointed videos, which are all available on YouTube. And these are really making an impact. There are more people watching Navalny's new YouTube videos now by some counts, than watch the official Kremlin propaganda on the news. Oh, wow. He gets millions and millions of Russians tune into these. It's a threat. I mean, you, you might ask, well, why is really, if Putin is convinced he's so popular, why should he worry about a challenger? I'm not sure really whether the Kremlin should be as scared of him as they appear to be, but he's, he clearly gets under their skin. Is he a serious political challenger? Would he ever be allowed to run for president, for example? 
It's tricky because we have this idea about elections that there's sort of basically a sort of fair, open competition beforehand. Everyone gets interrogated thoroughly by the media, the candidates debate, and then in the end, everybody who wants to vote can vote. The votes are counted, and whoever comes and um, gets the most votes wins. And every stage of that is different in Russia. So getting on the ballot is really difficult. We've seen plenty of occasions where the Kremlin has just fixed things so that the opposition contender doesn't get on the ballot. Then once you're on the ballot, which requires lots of signatures and you know, bureaucracy and so on, then you've, you've got to try and get your message across and break the information monopoly in the official media. So you can use social media, you can tweet, you can use Facebook, you can use Telegram, which is very popular in Russia, you can use YouTube, you can do stuff, but you're fighting against a kind of army of tanks on the other side with the complete dominance of the television news, which is still where a very large slice of Russians get their information. And then Assuming your voters turn out, will their votes actually be counted? Will they just be put in a bin liner and dumped somewhere? And even if they're counted and the count looks not quite right for the Kremlin, they may just announce a different result. So you may have actually done really well. And at the end, someone says, oh, that's looking a bit too high. Let's uh, report a, a different result. And have they ever gone for Navalny before? He's been sprayed with Zilonka, which is a kind of powerful antiseptic, and that damaged the site in one eye. Undeterred, Navalny spoke to supporters on camera. I just wanted to say one thing. Maybe in the Kremlin they think I won't make video addresses with a green face, but I will definitely make them because more people will watch them now. And He's been you know, roughed up and his brother is being jailed on phony charges and he's been told if you cease your political activities, we'll let your brother out of jail. His brother says, don't do it, keep going. He's subject to a lot of harassment, but it has been a big question. Why aren't you dead yet? And one theory is that the Kremlin likes to have the, the semblance of an opposition as long as it doesn't get out of control. And when you're, they're criticised by people like me for running a dictatorship, they say, it's not a dictatorship. Look, Navalny he has his difficulties, but he, he's, he's able to get his view across. So it's sort of, it's a kind of camouflage. Another is that it's quite useful for internal Kremlin battles to have someone like Navalny, because if you want to dump some dirt on your rival, you pass it to Navalny and he'll make one of his anti-corruption videos attacking whoever it is that's giving you grief. So he acts as a kind of useful vector for power and influence within the system. So there's lots of different theories swirling around about why Navalny is, is, is still around, just as there are now theories swirling around about why someone actually tried to kill him. Why now? One idea is that Navalny was really getting too successful, that he'd gone from being a sort of fringe activist, and that the Kremlin now worried that he was getting somewhere and that there were regional elections coming up where he was making a, uh, his candidates and activists were going to make a difference. There's a theory that they've been quite spooked by the regional uprising protests in Khabarovsk, which is a wonderful place in Russia, Far East. Those protests that Edward describes in Khabarovsk were sparked in July this year after the arrest of the city's governor who had opposed Putin's government. People are really angry about their governor being booted out by the Kremlin and that's causing you know, those protests have, have alarmed the Kremlin. Then there's what's happening in Belarus as well, which is a tremendous dilemma for the Kremlin because if they crack down, they risk crystallising 
anti-Kremlin or anti-Russian sentiment in Belarus. And if they don't, there's a danger that Belarus becomes a democracy on their doorstep and they don't want that. So there's all sorts of theories that the, you know, the Kremlin may be more nervous than, than we think and decided to lash out at Navalny. There's also a theory that it wasn't actually done by you know, direct command from the top, but Navalny had trodden on a particularly sensitive toe, maybe some regional governor or some business interest or someone who didn't like what he was doing and somehow managed to get hold of some Novichok and poisoned him. It seems odd to me. I could, If he, he was bumped off by being shot, then I think, well, that could be anybody having a go at him. But to be bumped off with this signature poison suggests, which you can't exactly buy in a grocery store, that suggests to me that it had very high-level clearance. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm David Baddiel. I'm a writer and a comedian and a Jew. I'm Saeed Avasi. I'm a businesswoman and a politician and a Muslim. Jews and Muslims always seem to be in the news or on the news. Most people talk about us, and this is us talking about ourselves. The kind of things that people say don't touch, yeah. we are going to go there. I mean, I think Jews and Muslims are talking about these things, but I think they're not talking about them together because they're worried that if they do, sparks might fly. A Muslim and a Jew, go there. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Why were the Germans sort of so insistent on getting Navalny out? This is really interesting, the German connection. I've heard people say that Angela Merkel takes a particular interest in Navalny. She likes him, likes what he does, thinks it matters and was yeah, very keen to protect him. Germany is also pretty much the closest sort of Western country. If you want absolutely first-rate medical care, the Bundeswehr, the German military, has an excellent port-and-down-type expertise in chemical warfare, and they've been involved in his, in his treatment. It poses a really hot potato on Merkel's desk now because she's condemned this unambiguously. She said that there must be consequences. But at the same time, they're just about to complete the last few hundred metres of a very controversial gas pipeline to Russia, which is a signature German-Russian economic cooperation project. It'll bring more Russian gas and, some fear, more Russian influence into Europe. There's already a pipeline in place, Nord Stream 1. Nord Stream 2 will run alongside it from Kingisepp in Russia to Greifswald in Germany, doubling its capacity. It is highly controversial in the East European countries, which see it as a sinister example of, sort of German-Russian get-together. She's adamantly said, this is just a commercial product, it's not political, I'm not going to stop it. But now pressure's mounting at the last minute that maybe she should stop it after all. I mean, that is the difficulty, isn't it? Because she has come out very strongly condemning the Putin government over the poisoning of Alexei Navalny. But there's always a sense that with, with Putin, he doesn't feel particularly shamed by strong words. And if you're still doing business, is that what would actually hurt him? I mean, what should Germany and the rest of the world be doing now if they want to show that this isn't acceptable? Germany is the most important economic force 
within the EU, they are in a unique position to put real pressure on the Putin regime. And it's a paradox that Merkel, who grew up under communism, hates communism, speaks Russian, understands the Russian mentality, likes Russian Democrats, wants Russia to be democratic, and talks very toughly towards Putin on some things, is still unwilling to make German business pay the price, particularly the German energy industry, pay the price it ought to pay, of ending its dependence on Russian gas imports. That may now be about to change. Amid mounting pressure, Angela Merkel's government has now announced that unless they get answers from Moscow soon, they won't rule out cancelling the multi-billion euro pipeline Nord Stream 2. Over 100 companies are involved in this project. Half of them are German. A backlash against the project would hurt them too. But it would be wrong to assume that what happened will not have any consequences. So will the EU and America take action? I think that there's increasing, as with China, there's an increasing alarm in Europe all over the place about what's happening in Russia. We've had a series of wake-up calls. I think people do realise that Russia is a kind of rogue state. It really does threaten its neighbours. It really does try and interfere in our own political systems. Dirty money is toxic for our system as well as being lucrative for the people who actually launder it. And so I I think there's a sort of slow groundswell within the EU and within NATO towards being tougher. But there are things pushing in the other direction. There's the Trump administration, particularly President Trump himself, has been very unwilling to call out Russia. He sort of hankers for a good relationship with with them. And there's still a large chunk of the particularly German energy industry, which really likes cheap Russian gas and wants to have it as the on the cheapest and most reliable ways possible. So it's a struggle. But I I think what the ascent of the German Greens is very important here. The German Greens have become very hawkish on both Russia and China, and they may well be in the next government. They're the opposition at the moment. So the combination of the hawkish German Greens and increasingly hawkish Christian Democrats in Germany, I think it offers some hope for the future. But I've spent 25 years warning people about the dangers we face, and I still sometimes feel I'm just screaming silently and people aren't really listening. Angela Merkel, she has sounded very strong in the last few days and she did manage to get Navalny out of Russia. What do we know about her relationship with Vladimir Putin? Merkel's relationship with Putin is very long-standing, goes back to 2007. She really doesn't like him. He, I mean, She's scared of dogs from when she was a kid and he knew this being sort of a former intelligence officer. He collects these sort of nasty bits of information about people he's dealing with and he brought his black Labrador into the room I think at their first meeting, which was both to intimidate her and to show that he knew that she was scared of dogs and he was doing it deliberately. So these sort of mind games go down very badly. Certainly sets the scene. She bought him out very early on when he was picking a fight with Poland and they got into difficulties with Russia. And she at the Samara summit in 2007, this was an EU-Russia summit in the days when we used to have those, went storming and said, um, in Russian, you screw with Poland, you screw with the EU, you screw with the EU, you screw with Germany. And she didn't use the word screw, she used a more colloquial version. And uh, and, and Putin was absolutely thunderstruck by that. He couldn't understand why the Germans were you know, standing up for the Poles. And yet she's unwilling to say to the German energy industry, you can't have your pipeline with Russia. I suppose that is the problem, isn't it, with with, with the West? They're always going to be hit economically if they try to do anything about it. There's a very strong belief in Germany that dialogue is better than confrontation and that through trade you gradually soften 
the hard edges of a problem. They have this thing in German called Wandel durch Ernährung, change through getting closer. And this is very embedded in the sort of German psyche that the worst thing to do is just to freeze people out. And so she's very keen on keeping contacts with Russia and with Putin. And she still talks to him quite regularly. So there's no appetite in Germany for a sort of sharp break. Although actually the Central and East European countries are far more important now than Russia as, as trading partners. So the big bet that German business mm. placed on Russia in the 90s absolutely hasn't paid off. But the one thing that does still really matter is gas. And Germany consumes a lot of gas. It worries about the future of its gas supplies. It worries about gas coming through Ukraine because they think Ukraine's unreliable. They love building their first direct pipeline to Russia across the Baltic seabed. And that worked so well, they want to build it again. And that has a sort of totemic significance for German industry as a source of cheap, reliable gas. And Merkel hasn't wanted to confront that. And what do they do about Alexei Navalny now? Does he stay in Germany and become a, a thorn in Putin's side from afar? Or what, what happens? Well, let's hope he makes a complete or near complete recovery from this. And my guesses, he will go straight back to Russia. He knows that once you leave Russia as an opposition activist, your political capital disintegrates, basically. You stop being taken seriously. So if you want to fight in Russian politics, you have to fight in Russia. So my guess is that Navalny will go back and sort of dare the Kremlin to try it again. I feel enormous admiration for him and sympathy for his family for the terrible cost that he has paid and would pay in future, you know, the risk he would take in future if he does go back. But from what I know of him, I think that would be his decision. As Alexei Navalny is coming out of his coma, doctors in Berlin are still trying to assess if there's been any long-term damage. Meanwhile, a Kremlin spokesman has said allegations that Russia was behind Mr Navalny's poisoning were absurd and unacceptable. Russia has also offered to send doctors to assess Alexei Navalny's condition. The country's National Medical Chamber said it's still not clear what caused Mr Navalny to collapse on the flight. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Edward Lucas, a columnist for The Times. You can read more of Edward's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producers were Oliver Adamson and Will Rowe. The editors this week are Asia Fuchs and James Shield. Sound design was by Carla Patella. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder and Ketzer. If you get a chance, please do leave us a review. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, and now we're also available on the Times Radio app, along with all the other podcasts from the Times. To download the app, search for Times Radio in the App Store. See you tomorrow. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.